Let's be honest, few humans enjoy meetings and many feel trapped in meetings. As leaders, we don't want to burden those we lead, but meetings can seem to do that more often than not. We wanted to address the pain of meetings through the Meetings with Saints Library. Here we have 15 plus presentations dedicated to improving the meetings we run. We have experts in the field addressing topics like getting people involved in meetings, staying on task, dealing with conflict in meetings, and a ton more. We'd love you to explore the full Meetings with Saints library over 14 days at no cost to you. You can do this by visiting leadingsaints.org 14. That's leadingsaints.org 14. We'll also give you access to all of our virtual libraries that educate about other leadership topics. It's really good stuff. So visit leadingsaints.org 14 or click the link in the show notes. Hey, if you're a newbie to Leading Saints, it's important that you know, what is this Leading Saints thing? Well, Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And the way we do that is through content creation. So we have this phenomenal podcast, we have a newsletter, we have virtual conferences, so much more. Articles on our website, I mean, I could go on and on, right? (laughs) And we encourage you to uh, jump in, check out Leading Saints, uh, go to the search bar at leadingsaints.org and type in some topics and see what pops up. We're just glad you're here to join us. Today, I'm on uh, the campus of Brigham Young University, and I've wandered into the office of Matt Durden. How are you, Matt? I'm doing great. Yeah, happy to chat with you. This is cool because one of your students, Matt Armstrong, who's just in the Leading Saints audience, sent me an email and said, hey, you got to talk with Matt Durden at BYU uh, about all sorts of stuff with ex- creating experiences and, and tie it into leadership, and it happened. So and now here we are. That's right. So the audience should know you should email us at leadingsaints.org slash contact and your suggestion may actually come to fruition as yeah. it is today. So. You listen to your listeners. That's, that's right. That's great. Wow. Wow. That was deep. That was deep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when people ask you, what do you do? How do you respond? So I teach classes on how to intentionally design experiences. That's cool. And in the business department of BYU. Yeah. yeah. So I'm in the okay. business school. I'm in the department of experience design and management. So I teach experience design to students who are studying that topic. And then I teach similar courses in the MBA program. Nice. And, you know, any place else, they'll let me on campus. I do some stuff (laughs) for the honors program. I've got a colleague and I who teach an experience design focused curriculum at the London Center. And so I think everything is an experience. And so you can really apply the principles in a lot of different spaces. Nice. And you've had opportunities to serve in various leadership capacities in the church even, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So a couple of bishoprics and young men's presidencies. And I, I mean, as we talked previously, the church delivers so many different types of experiences, yeah. right? And so I think there's lots to talk about yeah. when it comes to experience design and leading in the church. Yeah. Well, this will be fun. So I didn't even know this was a thing, like a science or think that the whole departments are dedicated to as far as experiences. But I mean, in the business world, companies are always hyper-focused on experiences for their, whether it's a hotel or the interface of an app or whatever it is. I mean, it's a big thing. Yeah. And this is definitely an emerging space and we're a unique program. I think it's really the convergence of a lot of science that's gone in to try to understand human experiences and what makes certain experiences better than others, right? I mean, Aristotle talked about this. If you think about it, 
we receive guidance through the scriptures about the types of experiences we should have to to thrive and be happy. And there's also been, I think over the last, you know, three or four or five decades, a lot of work around human-centered design and not just designing solutions that you think would work, but really understanding, okay, who are the people that I'm trying to solve a problem for and how can I collaboratively solve that problem with them? Mm -hmm. And then the other sort of trend is over the last really two decades. So there's a book that came out in 1999 called The Experience Economy. And Joe Pine and Jim Gilmore, who are the authors, made this argument that we were going to see a, a change in the primary driver of the economy. So we had, you know, you go back 100 years and commodities, sort of goods drove the economy and then manufacturing and then services. And they made the case that experiences were actually going Hmm. to become the primary driver of economy, right? It's not just the goods, products, and services, but it's the experience that is wrapped around those that really is a competitive advantage. And I think their prediction has really come to fruition, right? You hear the word experience, whether it's customer experience or employee experience or patient experience thrown all over the place. That doesn't necessarily mean that people are intentionally designing experiences, but just that awareness of, yeah, I'm loyal to a brand, not just because of, you know, if you think about like Costco and Sam's Club, right? In terms of a net promoter score, Costco's is higher. They're the same store, right? They're doing basically the same thing, but there are certain aspects of the Costco experience that draw more people through those doors. Yeah. And it's the churros, right? <laughs> <laughs> the hot dogs and the, and the chicken and all kinds yeah. of different or things. Or even the, yeah. the samples. And that was sort of, you know, when we went through COVID, you sort of walked through Costco like this is not the same store. I'm right? half the experience. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, totally. Because so, I want to try some strange food here. You so know? you have this emergence of like, oh yeah, we could, There's we know what makes a good experience. Um, we also know like how to collaboratively design things from a human-centered perspective, which is really important because you know you and I are having the same experience here chatting mm-hmm. for this podcast, but we're both going to walk away with a different like individual experience, right? right? So that's why you think about a church congregation. We all sit in sacrament meeting together, but we all walk away with you know 180 different experiences or stories that we would tell about our sacrament meeting experience. And so as an experienced designer, you have to understand design principles, but you also have to understand people and what make them unique and have a willingness and a desire to have empathy for the people you're designing for because it doesn't matter what you think is a good experience. It matters what the people who are having the experience think. Yeah. And that's such an interesting dynamic because it's easy for a leader. I remember this at, you know, times in bishoprics or whatnot where you feel like, you know, we're we're running a pretty good award here. I mean, people show up and, you know, there's always going to be individuals who don't come as often as others, but yeah, this is a, we, we, run, we run a tight ship around here. But if you don't ask the individuals saying, is that your experience? Yeah. Uh, you may hear something different, right? Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, the, the way that we are organized as wards, I think is so wonderfully unique. And many people have written about this, right? It's different than a lot of denominations, right? Where we have this sort of geographic way that we're organized. We end up rubbing shoulders with all kinds of different people at church that are different than us, right? Even here in Utah Valley, right? (laughs) There's a lot of different opinions and attitudes and backgrounds in a ward. And it's really easy to just fall into the assumption that everybody experiences things the same way that you do, Mm -hmm. right? And it doesn't take too much asking around to realize that's not not the case. Yeah. And when creating an experience, do you is it fair to say like our human nature wants to default to the practical. Like, for example, 
went through COVID where Zoom church was introduced, right? Or streaming church, whatever you want to call it. And a lot of people are saying, well, that was great. Very convenient. Very practical. Uh, I, I can give you a, a list of reasons why we should keep doing that. And some leaders are like, no, 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 no. You got to come to church and we, we're going to create an experience here, right? Like, is it easy to just default to practicality when it comes to experience or? I think it sort of depends, right? But I think, let me draw a parallel to how organizations are grappling with employee experience right okay. now, right? So many, many people worked from home during COVID. And now you see organizations trying to figure out what happens next, right? So Elon Musk recently came out and said, everybody needs to be back in the office, uh -huh. right? Like, if you're not here, like, you're out of here. Other organizations have said, yeah, we're going to have like some type of flex policy or it's going to be all remote or it's so, – so you see all of these different opinions. And I think we've had similar conversations in the church and wards, right? And I think rather than just saying like it needs to be one way or the other or this is better or this isn't, I think a question to ask is like what – type of experience is best for which type of channel, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of like we have multiple different delivery channels and most experiences are multi-channel, right? You know, you think about how often you use your LDS tools app or you use email or the word newsletter or ministering. There's all these different ways that we, that we interact as members. And so I think Rather than just de defaulting to like, what's easiest or let's do what we've always done, it's asking the question, okay, what's the job we want this experience to do for us, mm -hmm. right? Sort of leaning on Clayton Christensen's yeah. like job to be done, like really to think about that. Like what's the job of an in-person sacrament meeting versus a Zoom, you know, service or, or any of these experiences, right? You know, there's church meetings that could be the best channel is an email, right? This is all information, right? But when you're in person, you can do different things. And so you should do, you should use the experiences intentionally, yeah. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. So what's a, like, maybe just a crash course on, on some of this, like if a, a bishopric or an elders quorum presidency, like where do they begin to start formulating a positive experience while considering all the jobs that need to be done, right? Yeah. Goals, because it's easy to default to like just what we think or, you know, sure. like you said, you got involved with everybody. Yeah. Involved. So let, let me just walk through a couple of, I think, generalizable okay. like uh, procedures. So I usually like to start by asking, what do we want people to say at the end of this experience? Mm -hmm. If you think of the, what is produced from experiences are memories and stories, right? So being able to have an explicit statement that you would hope someone would say at the end of a sacrament meeting, at the end of a ward council, at the end of a youth conference. Like, what, what do you hope that someone would say? And then that gives you a target to sort of hang all of your design decisions on. You say mm -hmm. like, okay, we want people to walk away and say, I, you know, take a youth conference, for example, like, I know my peers better, or I know that my adult leaders care about me or I've increased my you know personal witness of Jesus Christ as my savior and I think if you can identify a couple because I, I think we also run into problems when we try to have an experience do all things right and then it just gets sort of watered down and yeah. doesn't become anything yeah so to really focus on okay what are a couple of things that we really hope people will say and then Walt Disney said everything speaks in an experience 
And hopefully you want things to speak in harmony, right? So if you think, okay, we want people to say at the end of ward council, I have a clear idea of individuals who have needs and how I can serve them, right? Mm-hmm. Or w- whatever the, yeah, whatever that it is that you want to say, yeah. right? Then everything you should do, every aspect of the experience, and you can even get into the minutia of like the setting and the lighting and what we've said in emails beforehand. You just think about all of these things, like how does the agenda of the meeting nudge people towards saying what you want them to say? How do the songs and sacrament meeting nudge people towards what you want them to say? Just evaluating it. It's almost like a clothesline and you're, that you're hanging all of your design decisions on. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the first place to start is like, do we know what we want people to say at the end of this? So let me ask you a follow-up with that is because I see this a lot where people say, what would we want people to do? We want to bring them to Christ. And so they use sort of this broad, like it feels good saying that, like, yes. Is there like an extra step to make sure that that we articulate exactly what we want? Because do we want people walking out saying, I feel closer to Christ? Like, yeah, maybe, but it seems almost too vague. So that's a, that's a great, great point, right? It needs to be specific enough that it would allow us to differentiate between different things that we could do in the yeah. experience, right? Because I guess you could say that for everything we do in the church, yeah. whether it's youth conference or sacrament meeting, yeah. but there needs to be some type of differentiation or goal level. Yeah. And I yeah. think that comes from also knowing your audience, right? Like what are the needs as a, so I'm currently serve on the state high council and, you know, we go and speak in different wards and sometimes you get an ask like, oh, will you talk on this topic or talk on this topic? And I remember emailing back and forth with the bishop whose ward I was going to go speak in. And I loved it because he was so specific, like he knew his members so well and he was so passionate about it. He's like, I like members of my ward really need to understand this aspect of repentance. Like I'm hearing all of these conversations and he just knew his people so well that his description, like it was a very easy talk to give because he basically told me what I should say to a certain degree because he had empathy. He knew what their needs were. And that should really drive, right? Like, what are the needs of the people we're trying to serve? And like, what would they say if we met that need, right? And so I think your point is a really good one. It can't just be like, that was fun. Oh, great. Youth conference was a success. Yeah. <laughs> like, people had fun, right? Uh-huh. Like, what are the needs that our youth have? Yeah. And what are the types of things that they would say if we met those needs? Yeah. So that gives me maybe a wormhole to jump down. I would guess in like in the secular world, businesses are constantly doing customer feedback reviews, surveys and whatnot, like, is that something we should have some, I mean, not not that you're, you know, encouraging people leave a comment card after every sacrament meeting or whatever, but like, how do we take a temperature as far as what the need is? I totally think we, I mean, yeah, maybe not, I think there's a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can happen. I'm a fan of surveys, right? Like I think during the I thought during the pandemic was really interesting. We saw all wards respond in all kinds of different ways. And there was times where I thought, man, if we just had a little bit more data from people in the ward and the stake, mm-hmm. or that we could figure out like, you know, what people wanted to do within the bounds of guidelines that yeah, were given. Yeah. And so I think it's important. There's also what can be what can be tricky is we have we all have like functional needs, right? Like I need to eat food and I need to wear clothes, right? And then we have underlying emotional needs, right? Like, well, I need to wear clothes that fit my sort of personal brand or convey this, or I Mm -hmm. like, I need like comfort food right now is what I need, right? (laughs) And so I think, you know, talking more about this idea of needs is understanding what are the, not only just the functional congregational needs, but what are the underlying 
sort of emotional needs that are like, oh, wow, this is really, this is what's really happening. This is what really people, yes, yes, they need, they need to have a testimony of Jesus Christ. But why particularly this 13-year-old girl? Like, what aspect of her testimony of Jesus Christ does she need to lean on the most right now? Mm-hmm. And I think when you identify those needs, I heard a great analogy one time that if you identify a good need, it usually doesn't change over time in history, but solutions change, right? So from the beginning of time, people have needed to like store information, right? And so first that was just stories and then clay tablets and stone tablets and gold plates and brass <laughs> plates. And, you know, eventually we had uh, printing presses and books, and then we got floppy disks and smaller disks and zip drives. And, you know, now we're like cloud storage. Mm. And at some point along the way, you said, okay, like zip drives, that is the end all be all. <laughs> we will always just use zip drives, right? right? Yeah. You become obsolete. And I think sometimes that can happen in the church too, right? Where we say, okay, the end all be all, I don't want to say anything that would offend anybody, like, you know, insert youth activity or insert, uh-huh. you know, sort of tradition, particular lesson, no a tradition. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is the thing, right? And it's not the case. I mean, that's why we've had like war teaching and home teaching and ministering, right? The need remains the same. And the church has made modifications to the experience to meet that need over time. Yeah. And so as far as gathering this information, as far as because I, I feel like a lot of leaders, they'll just uh, sort of, you know, because you don't need a survey to, to get data per se. You can perceive other things. Sure, or, totally. and, and sometimes you see it with maybe a bishop who's like, I'm up to my eyeballs and confessions about pornography. And this fifth Sunday, we're going to do that pornography yeah, yeah. lesson, right? right. And, and uh, but is it like, is there a industry standard? And I get we're sort of blending some yeah. different worlds here, but it's fun. So like, what, are there businesses out there that are just be foolish not to take some type of survey or ask people directly? I mean, is there a science or a, uh, what am I getting at here? You know, like a, an MO of, of um, gathering data. I mean, data. There, there's so many different ways to gather data, right? Like, and, you know, I think best practices in industry would be you're trying to gather both qualitative and quantitative data, right? The quantitative data tells you like what happened and yeah. the qualitative data tells you how or why it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a I had a professor who's now uh, retired here at BYU, and I did my master's degree. And to to emphasize this point, he talked about whether this is an anecdotal story. I I don't know, but you know, of these you know small rural town in Utah, you know, late eighteen hundreds, and people sort of talking in the you know mercantile store about the like sort of critiquing decisions made about getting saints across the plains with hand mm-hmm. carts and being like, you look at all of the people that died and the, you know, this and all of these problems. And then, you know, this individual speaks up and says, you know, that's true, but I was on one of those hand cart treks and that like experience, like changed my life. And like, it will have generational impacts yeah. in terms of the faith. And, and he goes, you could just look at the numbers and be like, this was a bad decision. But then you could look at like the qualitative impact it had on people's lives and the and the and the generations that have been impacted by the stories of faith that came from that. Those are two different stories. So sort of a tangent, but I think I think any data is better than no data. Yeah. And I guess the one thing that I would say is as leaders in the church, I think we can so often be caught up in just managing logistics, right? Because there's so many logistics to yeah. handle. Like yeah. who's teaching this lesson? Have what we have to, you know run our PPIs, we've got to like get this, you know, camp ready to go. And we can just not have much time to just talk to people, 
mm-hmm. right? Uh, president Iring talks about when he was the president of Ricks, that his home teacher, who was just a good old, you know, salt of the earth potato farmer who had no experience with higher education, came to him and said, How I've received some personal revelation that you need to get out of your office and just go talk to your employees and oh, go wow. talk to people around campus. Oh, wow. And I'm, I'm probably not like yeah, perfectly sure. describing this to everybody, but he talks about how, like, what an impact that had on him. And he started doing that, just wandering around campus, talking to students, talking to custodians, talking to faculty, and how that had an immense impact on how he behaved as the president, mm-hmm. right? And so, I mean, I, that's a, I've gone off on a little bit of a tangent, but I think just like whatever you can do to understand the people that you are serving. I think that just, that's like raw material that the Lord can use to, to give you revelation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I love that. I think it just comes down to like, just asking the question, what do we as a bishopric or presidency, how do we collect data? Like, how do we know what we assume? And is there anything more we could do to yeah, get better data? How many right? times do we sit in a presidency meeting or a ward council and it's just us sharing our opinions about what uh-huh. we think, you know, yeah. somebody might need? And, you know, I think when ministering works correctly, we have, you know, access to information and feedback yeah. from people. But I think just getting out and talking to people, because then you can say, okay, here's the need. Let's think about designing an experience that's going to meet that need. Yeah. And I have to say too, sorry, this just pops into my yes, head that please. when we talk about designing experiences in the church, I get a little bit, I don't know what they're right, like, I feel like I'm obligated to say that doesn't mean creating new experiences, right? Yeah. Because- Out with the old. Yes. <laughs> I think we're, that's always like, oh, let's come up with a new program. Let's do a new thing. Let's do, yep. it's like, no, how do we just make the things that we already yeah. have, you know, better, right? Because right. yeah. usually we're probably not running everything the way that we should, or there's, it, we, we don't need new programs, right? The ministering program does a lot of these things if we just, if it's just done right. So I felt like when I've been in, um, like that's like my, like the, the message that I'll pound in ward councils is like, no, we don't need a new program. Let's just like use what we have, but think about how we, you know, how we improve the experiences yeah. within the context. Yeah. That's interesting because sometimes there's, there can be a lot of energy behind something oh, new. Totally. Right? Yeah. But at the same time, it puts a lot of stress on not only the leader himself, but those that he leads with yeah. or she leads with. And then, and so it's, I think I'm glad you mentioned that just to say like, what if we just took the Relief Society and looked at it and said, how could we improve this by 1%? Totally. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. really good. Some Atomic Habits reference there, right? The, right? Like, yeah. how do we just make this like little tweak, yeah. right? And it can be simple things. I had a stake president who had a list. I love this. He had a list of like 15 or 20 hymns. And he goes, I'm not going to enforce this, but I think these are the only hymns we should ever sing in church because he believes so powerfully in the ability of song to bring in the spirit or singing to bring in the spirit. But he goes, if you sing a song that nobody knows... It's not going to be the same as if you sing, you know, insert. I believe you know, in Christ. Yes, or something, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but that's a great example of like, here's one aspect of the sacrament meeting experience that we can just leave to sort of random selection of hymns or in say like, here's ones that we know will bring in the spirit. How do we tie them into what the messages are going to be? And we've all had, you know, sacrament experiences where you walk out and you feel like, wow, that all connected. Like yeah. everything was connected and that was awesome. And then other times like, I have never heard that hymn before and nobody else did. And it sounded horrible. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I got to have that list, whoever that is. You, we got to track him down and get the list. But anyway, I'm just kidding. But the, the list of oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I, I love it. I'm like, I love that you're just saying this out loud and you actually have a list yeah. that like passed out to everybody. Right. In, yeah. Uh, and I guess every word has a list and maybe it's too long, but yeah, just own it and say, we got a list and this is all we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> this is sort of where the, the tension in, in this discussion is, is that we have these models, we have mm-hmm. these experiences. And like you said, we're not saying get rid of the old ones and just do new ones. And that's, that's the secret to everything. But, but sometimes there's this pressure on maybe a, a bishopric to make these experience models work for everybody in the ward. Right. And and I often joke and weep at the same time when I hear, I can just feel it, the stake presidency sitting on the stand at the Saturday evening session of a state conference and judging their level of leadership by how many people they can get in the pews of Saturday night session, you know? It's just like, it doesn't, like, we're here, like, let's just appreciate yeah. who's here, right? And so, we sometimes have these measuring sticks of like, that sometimes lead to guilt trips of like, <laughs> hey, you know, everybody needs to be, it's got to be a really important Saturday night evening yes, session. You yes. got to be there, right? You know, there's blessings in heaven if you're there, right? Right. Or just some of our long traditional ones of like weekly church attendance. And I think we've all interacted with people who are just like, I just connect with Jesus better when I go up to the mountains on Sunday and ponder and meditate or whatever. And there's nothing you can do, Bishop, to... Yeah to spice up sacrament meeting to make it more enjoyable for right. me, right? And that's sort of, you're like, oh, but the the renewing ordinance of the sacrament, you know, like right. we, we want to sort of shake them like, no, but you just got to do it. So like, what do we, how do we handle that when maybe the data shows like, you know, the second hour of Sunday school just isn't working for me and yeah. I'm just going to go home yeah. and no offense to anybody, but that's what I'm doing, right? Yeah. And, he, and then it's my job to ask impossible questions. So this is your impossible question. No, I just think, again, we have like multiple you know, the core, that person still has the need to mm-hmm. be saved, right? right? So that's, we can say like, okay, and we got to get them into sacrament meeting so we can save them, mm-hmm. right? So they can have the saving ordinances. But that need to be saved, right, is also connected to like needs to be connected to the body of Christ and need to feel like they are a children of a child of heavenly parents. And so you think about like, I may not be able to meet all of their needs, but like, what are some needs that I can meet? And you may have you know, somebody who's less active who just needs to feel like their bishop doesn't judge them, yeah. right? And that may be a place to start, right? Like, what's an experience that you can provide somebody to just help them feel like they're seen as a as a child of God, yeah? And that, and then that's enough, right? Yeah. Like they aren't suddenly better a better person because they showed up to you know Saturday evening. <laughs> Right. State conference or even even church, right? Like mm-hmm. just that they are that they are loved. And I've I've seen church leaders do I think really great things to just help give people a space and opportunity to have experiences where they're like, oh, like I'm a valued member of this community, regardless of whether I show up on Sunday or not. Of course we want them to, right? Right. But like I had a bishop that I served with who instituted what he called 59 minute service projects, which he had seen in another ward where it's like every Saturday morning from, you know, when the weather is good from April to November, we'll have a 59 minute service project in the neighborhood. And it's 59 minutes because everybody is concerned about the service project that goes on for four hours. And this is guaranteed to be, to be guaranteed to be 59 minutes. Love and then it. we end. Right? I love it. Yeah. You drop your rakes and everybody walks away, right? Symbolically, of yeah, course. Yeah. But th- this was really an effort to then reach out to people in the neighborhood who 
whether they're attending or not and just say, hey, this is an opportunity to sort of come together. And I thought that was a great example of, you know, we have a need to just connect as neighbors and we know that service brings the spirit and can we just get people to come out and then made some really intentional design decisions to say, okay, we know a pain point is like service projects that go on forever. This will be a tight focus. We will name it explicitly, you know, 59 minute service projects. And then, you know, it just creates the space for people to sort of come together. Yeah. And so I think that's an example of something that, you know, connected people and maybe for some people was a starting point to be like, oh yeah, I, I, this makes me feel more comfortable to you know be part of a official congregation. Yeah. Sort of uh, dovetailing off of that, as far as like creating an activity, we're going to do a ward activity. Are there like, even in that experience, are there any like hard and fast rules, like have a clear expectation of time or, you know, well, any, anything like that? Yeah. That so I think I like to think about experiences occurring. All experiences have three phases. You have an anticipation phase, a participation phase, and a reflection phase, right? For any experience. Hmm. And those phases may be longer or shorter, depending on the experience. So before you go to church, right, there's that anticipation phase that's going to be different depending on whether you have to teach a lesson or you woke up early or it's fascinating or whatever, right? And people are anticipating the experience, then they come and participate. And then, you know, they, to some degree or another, depending on the experience, they're going to reflect on what happened. And so I think, first of all, just recognizing it's not just the ward activity, right, that you're planning. You're planning what leads up to it and then what you want people to do with those memories and stories from that experience afterwards. Yeah. So I think I think about it in terms of like holistic experience design. Like are we considering all of the, I'll call them touch points that people are going to go through that are connected with this experience, yeah. right? Yeah. And you often see that in like uh, youth conferences or treks where they have like these firesides that build up to yeah, it or, totally. or come meet your mom and pa or whatever. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. that's like an example of an anticipation. Yeah, is, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So if you think about like just for award activity, okay. People's attention is a limited resource, right? Yeah. So you think about experience design is attention design to a certain degree. So good experiences ask for people's attention at the right points, right? And then respectfully minimize the amount of tension, attention needed at different points, right? Mm -hmm. So just from a, you know, thinking about the anticipation phase at a minimum, you want to make it really clear logistically what's happening, right? You know, as, as I think parents, we've all had this experience with youth activities where it's like, wait, what's happening tonight? Do you, does it, do you know what you're doing tonight? Like I haven't <laughs> gotten a thing. And then I'm like, oh, I got an email over here, right? So suddenly there's like all of this like hubbub about like what's going on. Yeah that sort of saps that attention, right? So I think when information about, let's say, award activity is really clear, like it's way out in advance, I've got it on my calendar, I know what's happening, I know where it is, I know why we're happening, just all of that information is mm -hmm. really, really helpful. Additionally, if we can get people to anticipate it emotionally in positive ways as well, that's helpful, right? Mm -hmm. So whether that's people are excited or curious or whatever it is, just thinking about how can we help people anticipate this in a positive way? One, yeah. one in an easy way, but two in a positive way, yeah. right? And sometimes that's really easy to do, for example, a, a youth trek, right? Like we're going to go to this place, you're going to dress up like this and yeah, we're going to yeah. have good food. But what about the more mundane of a routine of like a, a sacrament meeting? Again, impossible questions, but are there, how would you maybe take a sacrament meeting and create anticipation? Well, 
You know, I think there's a lot of different ways to do that. I mean, we know what's going to happen at a sacrament meeting to a certain degree, right? Mm -hmm. We sort of know the steps that are going to happen. But I've seen where wards will have, you know, you might have a an annual theme or a monthly theme where you're like, oh, like this month, I know all of the talks are going to sort of be on this topic. Or maybe that there's, I mean, we also are hardwired to pay attention when things are novel. Yeah. And so within the bounds that we can, thinking about ways to like increase the novelty, right? That might mean, I, I had a mission president who told me, no, this was um, F. Burton Howard was in the oh, Airy wow. Authority Presidency when I was on my mission. I'm hoping I'm, a, I'm, I'm quoting him correctly. But I remember him saying that he had an interaction with President Packer and asked him, I think this was when he was a new general authority saying, you know, President Packer, if you could go back and be a bishop now, what would you do differently? And President Packer said, but he would say, I would have a list of all the people that I would never ask to pray or speak in church. And it would be the bishopric, elders quorum presidency, relief society presidency, like anybody who is in any leadership position, I wouldn't ask to speak. Uh -huh. And I would just have people who are on the fringes and who aren't in the limelight. And those are the ones that I want speaking in sacrament meeting and saying prayers, right? Because if we go every time and it's like, well, it's, you know, president so-and-so again. Yeah. And it's, so I think what are ways it's like to just increase that that yeah. novelty, right? Like that, it's not that you're even sending out an announcement beforehand, but you've created a culture, a, a, a culture of this experience that I'm not quite sure what the bishop's going to do this week. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna, yeah. I want to go and see like wanna, yeah. how, how he's going to yeah. do. Who's going to be speaking this week? Yeah. Or you know that like I've seen wards that, and, and this can be different in every ward, right? There are wards where you you go because you want to go, but also because you know like the ward choir is amazing, yeah. right? And they're continually like at our at our state conference this week. They oh, what was the song? I can't remember what the song was, but they had like two people playing trumpets. Oh, wow. I never like, and it was beautiful, right? Nice. It was so. At first, I thought it was like you know because some of the organs can do fancy things. I don't play an organ, but I'm like, <laughs> is that like special keys? But then I looked, and there's like two people. They probably weren't. They were probably some. I'm probably using the incorrect term for whatever <laughs> they were, but it was just such a cool. I'd never seen that in church before, yeah. right? And so I think like novelty is of course one, but then yeah, developing like patterns or themes or just things that, you know, make it unique and different, right? Or we take like a ward council. We know what's going to happen in a ward council. And sometimes, speaking personally, sometimes I would have anxiety before ward council because I'm like, are we going to get through the agenda? Are my action items even on the agenda? Like what, like, is this just going to turn into a long conversation about some sort of topic that isn't going to lead to action items, right? Mm -hmm. I've also been to ward councils where we talk about people. And at the end of the meeting, we have action items of things to actually go and do, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I almost like I swing between wasted time, anxiety, and like feeling empowered to like go and minister, right? And when I've been on ward councils where I know this is going to be run in a way where I'm going to leave like with things to do, and it's going to be like exciting and revelatory. That's awesome. I yeah. anticipate those meetings. Yeah. And there's others where it's like, oh man, <laughs> we've been there. <laughs> yeah. Been there. And what I'm learning from this is like to create that anticipation, like it really is just being overly intentional with, you know, asking a question, what do we want people walking out of here saying, you know, what, what do we want to accomplish? You know, what, what do we want them to feel? Whatever. And being super intentional about that meeting and then 
that anticipation organically yeah, comes and just from a, it, right? yeah and just a, then once they that participation you're just intentional right like i've been in meetings where we're supposed to have a spiritual thought i guess so we have one and it's like 20 minutes long and i'm like we haven't even started the meeting and it's like a half an hour is gone this is an hour meeting right and i'm just like oh my goodness yeah wrap and it so up buddy yeah so it's being intentional like okay we want to have experience you know and we want to have a spiritual thought to bring in the spirit Let's talk to the person beforehand and say, like, this needs to be two minutes long, right? Yeah. And just be, just be, and when I that. elbow you, that means yes, your time's exactly. Up. <laughs> so, I mean, again, I talked about this idea that everything speaks in an experience. You just got to go through and say, like, what do we want yeah. each thing to say? And yeah. you may not be able to, like, you know, you can get overwhelmed with the minutiae, but just a little, just a little sprinkling of intentionality and courage to maybe not do things that, you can't figure out why you're still doing them or to do things you haven't tried before because you think it will nudge people towards being a little bit more intentional. Yeah. 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 And a- another component to this, I can see that I-, I remember being in that bishopric where it's like, we got to be in the sacrament meeting in, in, t- in five minutes. Like we got speakers, right? Like, like, <laughs> yeah, and totally. so there's this feeling of like, okay, I'm listening to this cute podcast and Matt's saying these things about being, being intentional. I can bear, like I'm, just so busy with the administration of things. And so that may be, you may say, well, maybe we need a group of people who are helping us be intentional. We're delegating this to and, rather and than And I would say like good experience design or even like great experience design is 90% creating really smooth running ordinary experiences. Right. Right. Yes, just yes, things yes, that yes. are like, okay, this is like, because we don't want to be transformed every moment of our lives. We don't need everything to be like meaningful and transformative. We'd be like worn out very quickly, right? So it's thinking about how does everything, so that I as a bishopric member, we've got processes in place where I know I can sit down five minutes, 10 minutes before the meeting starts and just like be present because I'm not worried about like, is somebody going to speak or who has lessons or all of those things. So I think like processes and patterns allow like brain space for revelation to happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of it is, and, and the processes and patterns aren't exciting always, right. Mm -hmm. They're not like, Oh, this is a new program, but can you create processes and patterns so that you just have brain space to like be in the moment and receive revelation and know like, Oh, this kid over there, this is what they really need. And then you can think about, okay, what, what do we do, you know, next week to, you know, provide them experiences to be meaningful. So I think ordinary experience design is super important. Yeah. And and that makes me think of uh, some interviews I've done with leaders. I think of one bishop in particular, he went, like he minimized on an extreme level, like, and it may take like, we're not going to do any word activities, but we're going to have the most exceptional sacrament meetings, right? Say goodbye to the chili cook-off, not happening for a while. Yeah. We're going to refocus and just really hyper-focus on sacrament meeting and and that'll build anticipation. and, and Yeah. Research. And then once you get that sort of going, yeah. then you can say, and, and you know, each ward and, and each leader and presidency, they're going to have their own styles, right? right? And their own things that they're going to be inspired to do. But I love the idea of like, whatever we're going to do, let's do it well. And it's, we'd rather do like a few things well than mm-hmm. a bunch of things poorly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hugh Nibley had a quote about, you know, overzealous members like that were were more, wow, what was the quote? Something about like, you know, members are willing to get up at 6 a.m. for a bad meeting, but we're not. <laughs> it was great Hugh Nibley. I'm like right, slaughtering right. it, yeah, right? Yeah. But this idea of like, just 
being busy and doing a lot of stuff isn't always the best yeah. approach. Right, right. And then, so anticipation was the first phase. And then what was the middle the phase? Participation. Participation. And then reflection. So right. anything else with, as far as participation when creating an activity or an experience? I think just some of the things that we, we've talked about already, like what is the need that we're trying to meet for this experience? And, it, and if you, if you can articulate that, then you need to think really hard whether or not you should be doing that thing. Like yeah. what is the actual need, right? Because it feels good to be busy in a church calling, right? Uh, maybe, <laughs> but to feel like I'm doing something, yeah, right? yeah, like I'm contributing, I'm contributing, right? Yeah. But it's like, well, what is the purpose of of this? And then, like we talked about before, like what do we want people to say mm-hmm. at at the end of this? And then ask them, like, is that what there's like? What did you think about the meeting? And are they, yeah. or what did you think about this activity? And so I think just those things that the, like everything speaks. What's the need? And just think, and it could be as as simple as taking post it notes, putting them up on a board to represent like the different parts of whatever it is, a sacrament meeting, a ward activity, a meeting, and just being able to like visually see almost like in a storyboard type of way, like these are the different things that are happening. And you can do this in terms of, okay, this is aspirational. This is what we want our sacrament meetings to look like, or this is what we want ward council to look like. And then do sort of a current state version of that, of like, what does it actually look like now? And you could even like, you know, going back to data collection, you know, talk to different members of the ward council and say, like, walk me through your experience at ward council. Like, what are you thinking and feeling at these different points Mm -hmm. along the way? And I think you'd get a lot of interesting information if you just did that, like primary president, like tell me about your ward council experience, elders quorum president, tell me about your experience and to see, to see where sort of the peaks and pits are Mm -hmm. of an experience. Yeah. So, and then the last one that it was ref, reflection, reflection, right? Yeah. And this is, I think generally speaking, and th- these are human nature problems, not just our church community or whatnot. I mean, you'll see this everywhere, but generally speaking, I think we, we some we somewhat hit the target of anticipation. We somewhat hit the target of participation, but reflection often is completely missed because totally. your energy's drained. I, we're off yes. track. We survived. never really want to see these kids again, but well, I got to go home. I and- sent the same number home that came. <laughs> yeah. Success. Mission accomplished. And right. we're done. Or even a Sunday school class where it's like, oh, time's up. Name Jesus Christ. Amen. And all right, what's the next lesson? I've, I'm going to start preparing that, right? But this reflection component can be some of the most powerful as far as putting yes. it to bed and and actually seeing progress. So talk to us totally. about Totally. Okay. So this is, like, I'll, I'll try not to go too off on this because I... <laughs> Totally agree with you on this. And I think there's a lot of things to be able to talk about here. First, you can think about it as sort of an agricultural parable or example, right? You think about like anticipation is when you're preparing the ground and you're getting rid of the weeds and plowing. Participation is when you start planting seeds and watering those things to hopefully start beginning to grow. And then the reflection phase is when you actually like harvest the thing you're trying to grow, right? But so often we just leave, right? We're like, oh, great. Like I, we did this whole thing and we did, you know, I, I taught the youth or we ran this meeting or we did trek. Good things happened. And then we just leave. And the reason why that is so dangerous is if you think about an experience. So I'm going to bounce around here a couple and try to keep like a coherent line of thought. But <laughs> so have you ever heard of the of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Oh yeah. Okay. So man of a, thou- of a thousand faces. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. So basically like, like this is a structure that many stories yeah. follow. Star Wars is a perfect example. Yes. Right. Or Lehi's family leaving uh-huh. Jerusalem. Yeah. Right. So 
we have this story of somebody leaving their ordinary world, going into an extraordinary world that's different, having trials and challenges and learning things, and then going back home new and changed, mm -hmm. right? And so the change, while it may start during that journey, whether or not it sticks happens once they go back home, mm. right? So they may be changed momentarily as the hero on their journey. But if it doesn't stick, then it's like, well, that was a cool experience. So if you think about this in terms of an experience design, it's the same process, right? When we ask somebody to come to ward council, we're asking them to lead their ordinary world, transition into this different world that we've created, and then to go back home again, right? Yeah. And it's hard. It can be hard to transition in and out of experiences, right? I think missions are a great example, right? Missionaries come home and they've changed, but maybe the, where they're coming back to hasn't changed and figuring out like, how do I bring everything that I experienced on my mission and bring that back home? For a lot of missionaries, that's a, that's a real struggle, right? Because the reflection phase is complicated, right? We're not just in this space where we can just focus on the experience that we're having. We have these memories and stories that we bring home with us, but how sticky those are, it depends, right? And so if you can think about ways to help people transition back and still take their memories and stories with them, I think one, you owe it to people if you provide them an experience to think about how you help them curate their memories from mm -hmm. the experience. And two, you're going to have a much greater impact of whatever that you know, experience is, right? Because we so easily just get caught up in our everyday lives. It, it doesn't take a lot. I mean, we know from research that we've done that people who reflect more on experiences, and this is not really groundbreaking, but it is to actually have data on it that, you know, the impact of that experience lasts longer. Yeah. And some people just do this naturally. Some people are naturally good storytellers, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And they just, they're just, they're good storytellers. They're good journalers. They're able to articulate what they've learned from experiences to themselves and others. And they have people who will listen to them, right? But what about people who aren't, right? One way to think about the reflection phase is how do we help people be good storytellers, mm -hmm. right? How do we help them articulate what they've experienced? And then how do we give them opportunities to tell that story to others, right? So, you know, teaching you Sunday school, it could be easy as like, here's a card with our two points that we talked about. I want you to go like, tell this to your parents hmm. and I'm going to call you tonight. Right. And those extra steps, I think just can move something to be from being routine to being something that becomes really sticky. So case in point, I has, you know, as a 43 year old, you know, lifelong member of the church, I've been in lots of Sunday school lessons, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. And I had a leader, Brother Spencer, when I was in the teacher, when I was a teacher in teacher's quorum, who did some very simple things that just I still remember today, right? So he gave us all marbles, just marbles, and told us that, and we had this lesson about like God's laws and scientific laws and and how, you know, they're all connected. And he said, you know, like, as long as you drop this marble and it drops, like gravity is in effect, which means God's laws are also like in effect, right? Oh, it's cool. just sort of this like just simple thing. So great. He gave us this, which is memorabilia, which can help us remember things, right? It's like, oh, this, this marble is like this lesson that Brother Spencer taught us about. But then he said, keep that with you and I'll follow up on it with you. And if you have the marble in your pocket, like there'll be a reward there. So I'm sitting in seminary. 
And the seminary secretary like sticks her head through the door and says, hey, is Matt Durden in this class? And I'm oh like, my yeah. And she's like, do you have your marble in your pocket? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And she's like, okay. And like when I got home that night, oh there was goodness. a pizza at my house. Now, you don't have to oh, buy wow. everybody pizza. But I was just amazed at like the follow through. And he did a variety of things like yeah. this. Where it wasn't, and the fact and, that you can tell the story at 43 years old. Oh, and I kept yeah. that mar- – I remember when I lost that marble, I think as an undergraduate student. I was like pretty upset because I kept it in my pocket for like years, uh-huh. right? And it was always this memory of like the importance of God's laws, right? And he just gave me this thing that was a reflection piece of memorabilia and followed up with me in a couple of ways. And I I think about Brother Spencer all the it. time, I right? I love it, yeah. I just, I'll never forget like the being in seminary and being like, yes, I, and feeling super awkward that I'm like, <laughs> like, what is, what are they talking about? Yeah. Right. But so how do you, I mean, if you're going to put a bunch of effort into an amazing whatever, right? Like what are ways that you provide members opportunities to reflect on it and, and help them tell yeah. those stories? Yeah. So it's almost this question that you're asking yourself, maybe as a teacher that you're preparing, how am I going to help these individuals take this principles outside of this classroom. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that may look like that story you just told, or it can be literal reflecting where maybe the last five minutes you're saying, you know, what's what's one phrase that comes to mind about what you learned today yeah. or a word or maybe journal for three minutes about. Sure. Yeah. Or that, yeah. Right? Or yeah. Yeah. Like think about like based upon what we've talked about, like what's one thing different that you can do this week. Mm-hmm. And then actually like follow up on that, yeah. right? Like yeah. do something. So it takes a little bit of extra work, but you know, you figure if you put in all of this time to prepare an experience, can you put in like 5% more to follow up on it and reflect on it yeah. and think about ways that you can do that? I just think we all have so many experiences, but it's often the ones that there's just something about it that we just return to and think about and that we tell stories about. And so a way, you know, there's, People will talk about the fact, like, how do you design an experience to be a good story? Uh-huh. And that can also be sort of a helpful way to, yeah. to think about it. Awesome. Anything else with these three uh, phases of a experience? That we're no, I think, I think it's that... just helpful to be able to step back and say, okay, it's not just when people walk through the door. It's yeah. what's more important is before they come and then what they do afterwards and yeah. like connecting all of those things together. Yeah, that's really helpful. So before we wrap up, I want to ask about this concept, and it's sort of been perpetuated in our religious culture, and I'm sure it's elsewhere. But this feeling of any almost you can, there's you can pinpoint general conference talk stories that go to this, where it's like the onus is on the participant of you know like oh you didn't you didn't enjoy sacrament meeting well maybe you should come with a better attitude and a more prayerful heart and then you will enjoy it right like sometimes we put the onus on the participant too much. But is that okay? I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, we talked about this already. All experiences are co-created, right? Mm -hmm. So it is this, you know, it's not just one person having experience or one person just saying, here's your experience and handing it over to them. So we have to recognize the fact that, yeah, like if I'm at church on my phone, I'm not having a church experience. I'm having my own designed (laughs) Wordle experience or whatever it is, right? (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, like people need to be engaged, but going back to this idea of anticipation, participation, reflection, like what can I do to help make it easier for people to engage in the way that I want them to, yeah. right? So that's might be in terms of, you know, if we're talking about sacrament meeting, like 
that we've given really great prompts to speakers that are coherent and given them guidelines in terms of how long we want them to talk for and the things that we want them to address and et cetera, et cetera. We are making sure that like the HVAC system works. So it's not too hot or too cold in the building. We are, we're making sure that, you know, people who don't know as many people in the ward have individuals who are like looking out for them to sit by them, right? You think of all of the host of reasons why people might get distracted in a meeting and what can we do to make it easier for people to engage? Because if someone's distracted, just telling them to pay attention, like, yeah, maybe they'll pay attention, but in a disgruntled type of way, like yeah. how do you, how do you just remove distractions and make it easier for people to focus on, you know, what's actually happening? And that could be like a, like getting your AV system fixed so people can actually hear people at the podium, right? Yeah. Or it may be, you know, a host of different things so that the people can just pay attention, right? And then if it's a good experience, you know, if you've thought intentionally about the different steps, you increase that likelihood that somebody is going to voluntarily pay attention, right? I mean, I think President Kimball was right, right? We can like, it's up to us, right? Ultimately, mm -hmm. like what we gain, but man, we live in an increasingly distracting world. Yeah. Right? And so I think just recognize the fact that like, yeah, it's, it's hard to pay attention. So how do we, I mean, when we, we were a 90 minute ward for a long time or 90 minutes in our stake for a long time before we switched to two hours. And the first time that I went back to an hour long Sunday school, I was like, oh my goodness, this is a long meeting. Now we have some really great Sunday school teachers in our ward, but I can't imagine sitting through an hour long Sunday school lesson of just the teacher talking, right? Right. So I'm so grateful that we've got teachers who are asking questions and sometimes we're in little groups and then we're like breaking out again and then there's stories and there's things. Because I thought, man, I think there's a good period of church history where this was just sort of another like hour long, right? like preaching period, right? right. Yeah. And mainly there wasn't much to do back then, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah so it was like, okay, it's like well. what else am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. So as we wrap up, I got maybe one more question for you, but I feel like we have to like hold true to these principles and, and I'll build some anticipation for this, this interview, right? Uh -huh. We'll put some things on social media awesome. and the news yeah. center. Yeah. So you're a marketing and, guy. Yeah. Like, and now we've had this, we've participated and hopefully it's been a good experience. Any, any reflection or what, what reflection could we give to the listening audience to uh, further enhance their experience with this episode? Yeah, I mean, you you sort of referenced some of these things already, but I think just, you know, if if any ideas came to mind, like write them down now, right? And try to do something with it. even if it's just like one thing, right? Many of us consume a lot of podcasts and just consume a lot of content, but very little of that content moves us to act. The definition of transformative education is future intentional use of that content, right? So what if, if you don't do something with content, then it was nice, right? It might've been nice in the moment as a distraction, but I think we've had a transformative learning experience when we actually say, I'm going to go do something. And then that thing that we do makes whatever we're doing better. So if you've had something come to mind, write it down. We're committing you. Will you go and, you know, act on that, you know, idea you had? Awesome. Well, Matt, this has been awesome. I've learned so much. and uh, This has been the, super fun chatting with yeah, you. Thanks yeah, so much. Yeah, these are fun and, principles and fun science, right? 
Last question I have for you is just as you reflect on your personal experience as a leader in the church in various capacities, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? I think it's helped me be grateful for anybody who serves in the church. And also, I think over time, I've become less critical of myself and other leaders, just recognizing the fact that we're all volunteers. And, you know, Christ, Heavenly Father, perfect individual, they they could just do this all on their own. So they're not expecting perfection for us. They're expecting messiness that's going to be taken care of by their grace. And I think there's times when I've been in leadership positions where I've become stressed with the welfare of people that I'm serving or my own ability to do things. And I feel less and less, not that I'm getting lackadaisical, but I don't get as stressed about being perfect, which, because we all fail. And so I'll continually, you know, tell people that I'm serving with, I'm like, we're just volunteers, right? That doesn't mean we sort of just mail in an effort, but just have some grace for ourselves and others and recognize that, you know, Christ is going to make up the difference. We'll do our best. He is the one who's going to save people. Our efforts are helpful in terms of our own progression and just learning and growing. But I think, you know, to tie it back to this conversation, I see our heavenly parents as the best experience designers ever, right? They knew that we needed to have an experience. They couldn't just tell us stuff. I mean, they told us a lot, like we learned stuff in the in, in pre-mortality but they said, you need to come have an experience and like try things and fail. You've got a savior. So that's taken care of. You're going to be able to progress, but you need to go have experiences. And the cool thing is that the experience is the same for everybody, but it's also perfectly customized for each of us, right? Regardless of where we are, we have a pathway back. And I just think it's the most beautifully designed experience. And knowing that, I think as a leader, I can say, I'm, I, I'm just going to do my best and I'm going to try to be innovative. I'm going to be try to be Christ-like, but I'm going to try to have grace for myself and others too, because it's going to be okay if, you know, we don't have the perfect board Christmas party or whatever. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. We'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments. You can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send us your perspective or questions. If there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the Leading Saints podcast, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and share with us the information there. And we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. Remember, solve the burden of meetings by visiting leadingsaints.org 14 and getting 14 days access to the Meetings with Saints virtual library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership.
from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.